Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. 1011 here on Future Sense with uh, Steve McDonald, Nick Jeans, and Mitch Schultz this morning. And uh, we have a winner for the Double Pass giveaway for the live theatre showing. It's actually Cinema of Live Theatre at the Bryant Theatre on this coming Wednesday, 6 o'clock, Double Pass. And the winner is Rose, subscriber number 4973. We have another giveaway short. Double pass to Sunday's film from Shock to Awe, which we'll be talking about in uh, in the next uh, period of time as well. Indeed, it's one of the things that is next from Shock to Awe. <laughs> and uh, I guess we first connected around 2011, I think, uh, when you were here in Australia for the Entheogenesis Australis Outdoor Symposium. It was that year, a great event. And in 2012, uh, I was fortunate enough to travel around with you and Dennis McKenna and Graham Hancock on the Origins of Consciousness tour. And uh, and I guess that's really when we had a chance to get to know each other and, and sort of uh, connect around the, the different things that we were doing. And then later that year, I think it was after the tour, um, you and Dennis and I were at Entheon Gaia up in Cairns, which was an outdoor psychedelic-themed uh, festival, which which ran for a few days. And um, and it was then that I actually I managed to grab you and Dennis McKenna and we'd sit down and actually just give show you a, a quick uh, brief slideshow of Claire Graves' work and how it related to the consciousness shift. Um, and uh, and that obviously had some impact, right? Had a huge impact on me. I <clears throat> I remember sitting down with you um, after getting pulled in a million different directions, and Steve, you kept coming back. Hey, I got to sit down and sit with, chat with you and you and Dennis. And uh, sure enough, that happened, and and it really just hit home within that moment and I think since then it's exploring these ideas about what's happening in the evolution of consciousness from the human perspective um, has has changed a lot uh, in how I'm looking at my own work and what I want to put out there um, but I think it's playing a huge role in what's happening on the on the global scale yeah. um, and, it, and it's played a huge role in that and I look forward to looking at those ideas more and more as we're going forward yeah and, and since then we've both been looking for i, I guess both funding on, on one part which has been pretty important and and opportunities to somehow use graves's work to to put uh, some media out there which might help you know inform people about the consciousness shift and of course now we've got the this podcast and radio show going which is uh, which is doing quite well actually yes and um and so one of the things that we're going to do while you're here is sit down and explore how we can take that further and you know whether we can we can create a, a documentary or documentary series or maybe even a fictional piece uh, using Graves's work to to help people understand about human nature and about change and, and why the world is the way it is at the moment and where it's heading. Right, and and because Graves passed before academically publishing his work, I, I think you know this better than anyone, Steve. But that that information isn't really out there in the in the kind of 
collective consciousness that I think it should be and, and being able to bring that to some attention would be wonderful because I think there's a lot of meat in that. <laughs> well it seems in my experience having come in contact a bit later in the last two years with this work through Steve here it's made a huge difference to, to me for sure but one of the things that's clear at the moment is how many people at least in this little bubble in this region mm-hmm. uh, that I know and that I meet that I talk to are more and more receptive to, to seeing things in the, this way through not just through Graves' model but at least looking at that and going this actually represents something about how I actually am experiencing life Right. now and so it makes sense and other people of course that's not true they don't they don't get it at this point and that's okay but there seems to be a growing consciousness of people sort of hungry for a way to actually make sense of what's actually happening yeah I'd agree with that Nick and timing is very very important and we mm. uh, Mitch and I spent a lot of time together in 2014 trying to figure out a way to get some money to to put a piece together you know that we could release uh, using Graves' work and really you know it seems like the world wasn't ready for it back then yep, right. uh, people we spoke to you know weren't really receptive um, and it's taken a whole lot of tension to arise globally and and a whole lot of people to get into this you know point of not being confident about what the hell's going on and where we're headed for there to be some energy around wanting wanting to look for solutions and look for ways of making sense yeah. of what's going on and ironically too in graves's model of course it shows how consciousness does evolve and in a way that's exactly the experience of how people can receive that particular work is an indication of how consciousness actually is evolving. I mean, yeah. He describes exactly what's actually going on, which exactly. is fascinating. Exactly. Yeah. If there's one of the one thing that humanity can agree on, it's that change happens. <laughs> However, at the same time, it's the biggest thing we push back against. Right. <laughs> So true. It's so true. We don't like change, most of us. Very true indeed. And and the other thing on your radar is the possibility of making a sequel to the DMT documentary. That's right. Yeah. Uh, my producer, after after many years, is, has uh, finally gotten through to me. And <laughs> we're looking after, you know, it'll probably be released, we'd like to. Um, it's been a decade. Um, and a lot has happened. Um, not just the amount of research that's popping up, but again the global tension that you're talking about Mm -hmm. and even a variety of different researchers from different backgrounds and and different fields starting to get a new understanding of what consciousness and Mm -hmm. potentially what reality is when we're marrying uh, relativity and the quantum world Um, and that all comes back to consciousness and Mm -hmm. so we really want to look at that universal consciousness through the lens of the DMT. Mm. And I guess the, the interesting for me too, as you speak, is the cultures that have arisen in this period of the last decade or so with this kind of work around the world, because there's all sorts of uh, things that have, uh, have mushroomed, so to speak, mm-hmm. out of this space too, isn't it? So it's it's not just uh, not just about uh, say DMT or psilocybin, but it's also about the the culture, the tribalism, perhaps at times, uh, the research on one hand, and uh, perhaps some of the, the mistakes that have been made also along the way because it's not a completely clear space like anything is it it's a it's quite a new space in, in a sense even though it's a psychedelics have been around for a long time we're seeing a sort of a, as we're saying a, a second psychedelic revolution but it also brings challenges too doesn't it yeah and this and this goes beyond uh just psychedelics i mm. mean people are talking about artificial intelligence yes. um consciousness in general and quantum computing um, and how do all of these things connect and that's really uh, what we'd like to kind of explore is how do all these things connect Um, not saying I have the answers but just going out and exploring and and pulling some of these ideas a little bit 
um, like to just expand that idea a little bit and explore what is consciousness. Yeah. So going beyond the DMT experience itself to, to look at how it's interfacing with the world and, mm. and I guess what what it's doing in terms of being mm. a catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you got uh, any sense of, uh, of format or who you might like to talk to, uh, you know, in the process of um, putting that together? Yeah. So we'd probably bring back a collection of some of the people that we initially interviewed for DMT, the spirit molecule. I mean, obviously, Dr. Strassman, I think, uh, Graham Hancock, Dennis McKenna, Douglas Rushkoff, Eric Davis. Uh, But then there's a whole slew of other new people out there that we'd like to bring on. Uh, Roger Penrose would be one. pull down my whole list here and make this a little easier on myself. Uh, and for those who haven't heard of uh, Roger Penrose, he's a, a scientist who's done some amazing research um, some of it together with Stuart Hameroff who appeared in the What the Bleep movie mm-hmm. uh, around the nature of consciousness and the quantum aspects of consciousness in particular and some of their work is is so leading edge it really hasn't hit home yet with, with a lot of other scientists and I'm thinking particularly of their work around the discovery of what they call microtubules which yeah. are really tiny fluid filled tubes which uh, are networked right through the brain and their initial understanding is is that this is another communication system in the brain that really isn't on the radar yet Uh, and it communicates through electromagnetic waves that pass through these fluid filled uh, microtubules yeah so this takes us from traditional physics into the quantum world right it it does absolutely and and it also you know it's it's another layer over the top of the the electrical Mm. brain uh, idea you know which pretty much uh, um, it's probably fair to say everybody who's working on AI projects at the moment all focused on the the idea of creating a brain on a circuit board mm-hmm. uh, and um, and yet here we have a whole other communication system which exists in there which mm-hmm. is just not being you know understood yet yeah uh, texter has uh, written in hi Steve Nick and Mitch I think and you, you guys probably know this guy I think Leo Gura do you know this man from actualized.org would be a great uh, person to collaborate with regarding a spiral dynamics project his youtube channel is excellent and a great insight on consciousness leo gura that's g-u-r-a you guys know of this i don't know but i'm just googling here actualized.org thanks for that we'll we will certainly research that very good interesting so who else mitch Oh, let's see here. So Rupert Sheldrake, Jaron Lanier, you mentioned Stuart Hammerhoff. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to say her name wrong, but I'm going to try. Jimo Borgigan, who is uh, at the University of Michigan. She's a neuroscientist looking specifically at DMT and, okay. and the body. Oh, that's cool. I haven't heard of her. Just Wait. about to ask about where the women were because there was a yes. long list of men there. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that is something that yeah. we were challenged with when the in- initial DMT film is like we really made it a point to try to mm-hmm. expand that. And at the time, and this is now changing, yeah. um, it was a lot of white men. And, and so that was a, something that we... Dr. Strassman and I made a, a very conscious effort to to try to expand, and, and we did have some women in there. Yes, you uh, did. But I think that, um, to your point, we're going to need to expand that here. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Randall is another woman uh, physicist that uh, we're looking at talking to as well. Mm. I guess that was shaped uh, in part by the participants in uh, uh, Dr. Strassman's study, right? Were, were they mostly male? Is that no? So the participants had a, they had a, had a pretty good range of male and female, but okay. it was really about the researchers, uh-huh. the researchers and the and the people doing the science for since you know the '60s, yeah. for the most part, um, have been white male. Yeah, um, and yeah. that's and that 
played a role. But that we did push for that, and I think that's changing a lot. Yeah, that's good to see. So, yeah, and these are just a few names, but I think we'd you know there's there's plenty more. So yeah, anybody has any suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. So please. well, we have a, a new friend here who's probably quite interesting, who has a, a PhD in anthropology, uh, after doing a year's research in a, an ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Correct. Uh, if you're listening out there, Dina, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you're looking at a, a similar kind of a documentary format for for DMT too. Yeah, yeah. we do a feature length documentary. Um, and again, what we'd look at here, we'd pull back Dr. Strassman's, his new paper that came out recently about how we can explore the DMT experience was through an intravenous injection, which would allow the person to go out and explore for potentially hours as opposed to minutes. Mm. Um, and I, the idea is to bring more back, be able to explore the space and bring more back and what, what is there. So we'd look kind of through that lens, but again, this wouldn't be focused strictly on the DMT experience or the DMT research. It mm. would expand out to what is consciousness, yeah. um, universal consciousness. Yes, yeah, sweet. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. 10.29 here on Future Sense and coming up at 11 o'clock, pregnancy, birth and beyond as always. And thanks for your text. We'll just deal with this text before we move on. Thanks for this, one of our regular listeners. Um, in discussion on DMT, are you also meaning 5-MeO-DMT, which is the toad for those of you who don't know. We'll explain that shortly. I had a wonderful experience using ayahuasca a few months ago, then did the toad. About five weeks later, the toad left me in absolute shock and I still haven't recovered from it. I'd appreciate any input on that. Uh, obviously, you'd like to remain anonymous. We won't mention your name, but you are a regular listener. Yeah, that, that's a great contribution. And I think it's important when we do talk about psychedelics and psychedelic research and psychedelic use uh, on the show that we also mention both sides of the story. And uh, because it has been a, a kind of renaissance, it's been something that hasn't been built into society for the last you know hundreds or perhaps even thousands of years. We haven't had standard practices in in Western countries, at least. Well, there are, you know, of course, some countries that have maintained these traditions over a long period of time like in South America for example but uh, for most of us who've grown grown up in in kind of suburban western society we we haven't grown up with any discipline around altered states and the use of altered states in constructive ways that you know the best we've had is like recreational habits of drinking alcohol and those sorts of things usually um, which which really lack any kind of constructive structure although they do play an important role and Claire Graves wrote in his research notes that whenever people are going through significant change the use of drugs will always increase and there are good reasons for that because the altered states that we get from psychoactive drugs provide access to perspectives that otherwise we wouldn't be able to to discover and we and it's often in those altered states that we we see a new way of doing something or we get insights about how to solve complex problems and those sorts of things so so this is why altered states have always played an important role in societies it's just that um, over the last couple of thousand years in particular in Western society and this is also largely connected with the the dominance of our uh, mainstream religions is the altered state work has been suppressed and and in many cases uh, people have been persecuted if they mm. engage in altered state practices so we've lost a lot of knowledge we've lost the discipline you know the structure around how to use altered states constructively and they can be very very useful and constructive and, and one of the problems with that is that now with this psychedelic renaissance that's going on all of a sudden 
these things have spread through the underground very, very quickly. Uh, you you don't have an established uh, segment of society that has you know a professional background in doing this kind of thing. So it, it's literally anybody who turns up and feels like it, you know, can, can grab hold of some of this stuff and start handing it out to other people. And that has been extremely problematic. I mean, it's also been extremely transformational for many, many people. It's an absolute mixed bag. And there are people out there that I know who are who are doing this work and they're doing it very, very professionally and with very good results. But there are also people who really are in over their head. They don't understand what they're doing. Um, they think they're doing good work, but in fact, they're, they're leaving a trail of destruction in their wake. And in fact, just this week, a couple of days ago, I got uh, a message from a friend in uh, Europe asking for my advice for a friend of his who had just done the, the toad medicine, uh, which is um, from the the um, Alvaris mm. toad, yeah, and it contains 5-MeO-DMT, amongst other things. And it is, uh, it can be a, an extremely high-impact experience as our listener I'm sure knows from personal experience and uh, and my friend texted me just a few days ago saying uh, a good friend of his had just done a toad experience hadn't slept for the last five days uh, you know which is actually pretty serious yes, and uh, I texted back and said you know is there any any uh, history of, of medical conditions there and, and my friend texted back and said oh yeah he has bipolar can, um, but uh, has never had any trouble with ayahuasca or DMT you know um, and of course my advice was to go go see mainstream medical um, you know mm. uh, professional straight away which which they did and I understand I think it, it was um, treated okay but but this is the kind of thing that's happening and because it's underground it's often off the radar it's not reported in the news you know people hear about these substances through friends and on the informal grapevine and don't necessarily go into the experiences fully understanding what to look for in terms of uh, who's actually delivering mm. the, the service right. um, and what to be careful of yes. you know so so it is it's it's quite a minefield can i can i just ask a question with regard to claire w graves's work here in terms of people uh, in different um, layers of that work and how they approach this work with psychedelics because that's a that's a big difference right there isn't it how people may do it where they where they're of actually course. coming from where they what yeah. paradigm they're living from yeah yeah, absolutely, and it, it does change. And uh, often these traditions have been carried through history by people uh, who are living in life conditions conducive to layer two or layer three um, existence, you know, which is the tr- layer two, the traditional tribal, which of course um, applies to a lot of people in the Amazon basin where ayahuasca mm. has had uh, long-term usage there and also DMT snuffs and things. Uh, and then progressing from layer two to layer three where, um, and this is often where it can run off the rails because you break away from the rules and they try and do their own thing. They discover, that, you know, and it's not always unsuccessful that they, they look for better ways of doing things. Mm. Um, but it also can be loose and wild. Yeah, you can also, I guess that's uh, with regards to layer five to the orange layer in Graves' work, you'd find, uh, I guess, ayahuasca tourism, for example, which, which can go a little awry according to many reports. As, an, it, as one example. It can, particularly when the financial aspect is the driver rather than care for the actual people who are, yeah. who are having the experience. But, uh, you know, I won't mention any names on, on air, but, uh, uh, you know, I know of uh, a, a particular operator who has a reputation of, of very, very mixed outcomes. And he comes from a country where the dominant uh, set of life conditions is probably conducive to layer three existence. So it's very power-oriented, rough, raw, 
um, kind of a, a country, mm. you know, and that carries over into the way that uh, that he does his work and he's been known to, to literally physically kick people if he doesn't think that they're responding properly to the to the medicine experience and Jeez. that's you know that's just Extreme, but yeah. that's the kind of thing that's happening out there well dr Strassman went through a lot when he was doing his original initial research in the 90s um, and taking this very scientific approach which was necessary at the time but then once pushing as he claimed pushing people off the edge um, what kind of support do we have for them, you know, after these experiences? And so it was, it was some kind of very personal time to spend and say, am I doing this in a way that I think is going to be ultimately beneficial mm, yes. for these individuals as opposed to just kind of testing their body me- mechanism and the, and the biochemical aspect of it. And, and again, you know, he was restricted by the fact that we've, we've suppressed this aspect of society within the Western world and coming from a Western scientific mindset, you know, there's, there's no structure background around managing a DMT experience. Right. So it just becomes, okay, let's just follow the science and do it in a hospital and, and you know, it, even just doing it in a hospital is not necessarily conducive for a good experience given the, the set and setting aspects, you know, which are very influential. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Yeah, that's coming up this Sunday. We have a double pass to give away to that film at 2.30pm, following uh, with a Q&A with Stephen Mitch right here in front of me today, and I'll also be a bit of an MC, I guess, on the on the day. So we have a personal interest here, but it's not a financial one. We're very interested in bringing this very important work, and uh, Mitch here is uh, the transmedia producer for this film, so we'll talk to him shortly about that. But just if you want to get in the draw for a double pass for this film for Sunday the 18th, coming up at 2.30pm, then give us a call double six eight oh seven triple nine if you are a subscriber to Bay FM and if you're not you can do that straight away as well yeah so the film is uh, is um is here about to be premiered in Australia here in Byron Bay which is pretty cool on Sunday um let's let's have a look at what this is about because we've just been talking about some of the the problems with the new psychedelic revolution but on the other hand there are applications uh, done under proper research conditions and under and under um, the auspices of medical professionals and the like where these substances are being used with great effect uh, for the healing of PTSD and other kinds of trauma pretty amazing work going on there it is amazing work, and it's very close to my own personal story too, which is why I've taken a particular interest in this uh, documentary, uh, which follows the centrally the two experience, the experiences of two U.S. war veterans um, and their struggle with PTSD and depression when they come back and try and settle back into life uh, in the U.S. and uh, their lack of success with mainstream medicine and the the crazy amount of pharmaceutical drugs that they were, were given. There's one scene in the documentary yeah. where I think it's Matt opens up his yeah. medicine cabinet and he's got like 99 bottles of pills sitting mm. on the shelf there and uh, and he, he says quite openly these nearly killed me yeah. reminded yeah, me of my dad actually at that yeah. point who was uh, as uh, Steve knows was a, was a war veteran Second World War and he had when I grew up he had this medicine cabinet full of those sort of pharmaceuticals and that was the 60s so God knows right. what was in that cabinet right then yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very scary. Mm. But in my own case, I uh, spent 15 years as a, a regular army officer here in Australia and served in Somalia in 1993 on a humanitarian mission, uh, which happened as a result of a huge famine that was going on there. And uh, when I came back from that, uh, I wasn't 100% well. I didn't understand what PTSD was, and, and I don't think the, the military really understood it either. You know, there was, I can remember during my training having a, a lecture, a one off lecture about battle shock. 
which is strictly speaking not really PTSD. It's something different. It's something that happens in the moment. And so um, I basically had no education about post-traumatic stress. In fact, I don't even think the term was used. You know, when, yeah. when I was in the, my early years in the army, and uh, when I got back, um, you know, I, I wasn't well, but I I was well enough to keep working for many many years. It was only ten years later that I had a, a full-on breakdown. I went into a veterans hospital in Heidelberg in Melbourne for a while to get treated and then went through the conventional treatment process involving pharmaceuticals and individual counseling and group counseling and and all sorts of stuff and really didn't fix me um the, i got after seven months of being unable, unable to work i got back to work part-time only uh, and continued working part-time for some years uh, until i eventually had a second breakdown um, years later and then i and only then got acknowledgement from the department of veterans affairs that i wasn't okay <laughs> right. uh, and then got some decent support but it, it would there was it was a very problematic process very difficult process of, of not being able to find a treatment that works and um, and extremely disruptive to my life and mm. and of course this is the same story that's told in the documentary yeah. uh, in, in in with great impact you know I think it's a, it's a really powerful piece of work and, yes. and Mitch you had the benefit of meeting uh, the filmmakers and some of the people involved in the movie yeah 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 um, Luke Cote and Janine Segert who are the uh, who are the filmmakers contacted me um, or put me in touch or put in touch through some other colleagues and. Um, I also have some personal connection to war trauma through my through my grandfathers and from World War II. And, and in retrospect, looking back at how being around those guys, mm. um, you could see it. You know, you yeah. could, I couldn't see it at the time. And, and back then, we didn't talk about it. We didn't know what it was. We didn't talk about post traumatic stress as post traumatic stress. Um, and that generation dealt with a lot of it. But now, being back in war zones on a pretty regular basis, in um, so many people are coming back traumatized um, and they don't know how it's impacting their lives. They just know that they're not functioning. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes all the way through, not just to their work environments or school, but to the families. Um, and which is one of the things I really appreciated that Janine and Luke looked at in the film was the impact of the family yes. as yes, well, because absolutely. the trauma gets passed down that's or, right. you know, sent through to the family. Intergenerational, absolutely. Right. For sure. And so that stuff, it, if we ever want to break these. Mm cycles um, we need to start looking at other options because it hasn't been working uh, to date with what we're what we've currently been doing and our current understanding and I think there's some new science that's starting to come out looking at trauma actually being stored in our nervous system mm. it's not the story that we're telling ourselves but that it's embedded into our yeah. autonomous nervous system and it's fascinating that there's uh, you're probably familiar with the with the work of uh, somatic experiencing mm -hmm. se work which uh, is Peter Levine the American right. uh, who wrote the original books which is about um, very simply put about letting go of trauma in the moment as an animal does an animal gets right. a shock and it'll it'll might lie down sort of numb for a while it might be frozen in whatever kind of shock it's had it'll get up and it'll, it'll shake it out it'll shake it out of its nervous system yeah. and then it'll move on right. and, and but humans we just lock it in we close it down we shut it down vulnerability and feeling this stuff is not appropriate especially for men especially for people in you know battle zones and, and similar kind of things police uh, ambulance people for example sort of first responders various types all sort of suffer from these kind of um, these so the kind of traumas there's so much trauma out there this, oh, yeah. this isn't just no. war veterans no, but no, no. first responders locally um 
you know, in the states, and I think just around the world in general, so much of this trauma does not get actually worked out. And you know, through Levine's work and others, yeah. they've seen these four troughs essentially in our in our nervous system. You know, there's that initial one where things are just a little excited, you know, something's up, but you're not really sure. Then that next one being, okay, now I got a fight or flight. Yeah. Um, and then dripping down into what they call this the third and kind of dissociation dissociation states um, where people end up becoming suicidal and or just completely disconnecting from everything in mm, society mm, and yes. in life and it just become really numb um, yeah. and how do we rework those mm. states and rewire those states um, for something that's a little more open and that's what they looked at in this film um, and, to, and to your point when they came back I said this is something that is tangible for people uh, it's real to people everybody had some sort of a connection with somebody that had trauma like this and then how do we go back and, and help these people get back to a normal life or some sort of a life where they feel like they can function yeah and after my own personal experience which initially was with ayahuasca which i found was very effective in clearing my depression uh, and seemed to work slowly on the ptsd but for me it wasn't a particularly effective uh, method of treatment but then some years later i had an opportunity to uh, do an mdma session and that was the most effective session that i'd done you know of any type in terms of addressing the PTSD, and definitely had a lasting effect but the, the challenge for me was um you know and this this was stuff that i did some years ago now was okay how do you cross this bridge between the fact that these drugs are illegal that they're um you know they're they're portrayed by mm. government and society in general as something that you should never go near and here they are with this amazing potential to cure you know some of the, the most serious diseases that we have mm. not just PTSD of course but the, but the researchers you know mm. discovering uh, opportunities to, to deal with all sorts of ailments mm. these days so how do you cross that bridge and it's been a very difficult one and initially I was very reluctant in fact I went for some years without speaking to other veterans at about what I'd done because I didn't want to prompt people to go and grab something off the street where they don't know who they're getting it from, they don't know what the quality is and they could potentially die from it. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be responsible for that. Yeah, absolutely. And that was part of the reason why I went down the, the track of helping to create PRISM mm. and try and you yes. know, get some legal bridge progress there. Yeah. yeah. As we've talked about a number of times, MAPS, which, uh, which sort of prism sort of arose out of the work of Rick Doblin that we've talked about at MAPS, uh, has now seen uh, such success that uh, the uh, MDMA for PTSD, as Steve's talking about in his own personal experience, is now at the stage three with the Federal Drug Administration in America, which is the last stage of research of uh, proving before it becomes legal for this kind of research and expected to be so by 2021, which is pretty amazing. And so this, this is a major change. And obviously this film because I was thinking as we're talking too, this is probably the first film that really directly uh, looks at this kind of success in such a professional way. It's a very good movie. It's very personal. It's very, you know, That's what I really, really responded yeah. to as well was the human story the human that story, they had exactly. there because that, that was the approach was to, let's not make this fully scientific. <laughs> let's, let's look at how these these particular men and their families were impacted yeah. um, directly, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think the timing is good now. Uh, uh, Nick, you mentioned the, the situation in the US where they've got breakthrough therapy status now, uh, not just for MDMA, but also for psilocybin and, and ketamine, S-ketamine as well, uh, which are all alternative drugs for, for treating uh, depression and PTSD. And uh, we are years and years behind here in yeah. Australia. We're about to start a psilocybin study for to treat near-death anxiety and terminally ill 
patients in Melbourne uh, through PRISM. But uh, we've got a lot of catching up to do. We've been trying since 2011 to get an MDMA for PTSD study hearing, happening here in Australia. And we knocked on doors for years and years and years and just got a, a no every time. You know, no institution wanted to look at it because of the social stigma around these drugs, because of the fact that they're not legal, even though the research would be fully legal. Yeah. You know, institutions like hospitals and um, universities didn't want to be associated with it for fear that it would tarnish their public image, mm. you know, and and perhaps jeopardise their funding, which was the real reason that they didn't want to look at it. Uh, and we're still there in many cases. We've got an MDMA uh, study in the pipeline in Perth, but we're still running into obstacles mm. with the institutions or one particular institution over there that, that we're trying to work through. And I think it, the time has come to, to really speak openly about this, you know, and that's why uh, I'm really keen to support the screening of this movie in Australia and get it out to mixed audiences so people, mainstream people who wouldn't normally even think about these things can see, okay, here's some regular folks right. who've been really, really sick. They've tried these things and they actually worked. Yeah, right. And, you know, we, we need to get across that bridge. We really do. Well, the, the bogey in the room, of course, and which, which, which I will say is the pharmaceutical companies because instead of uh, someone suffering from these kind of anxieties, these kind of traumas, having to take a pill a day or more than one pill or a whole brace of pills for the rest of their lives to, to contain, to suppress these uh, these effects. Instead, the potential for this kind of, uh, this kind of treatment through this new, these new psychedelics uh, can, um, can heal somebody in a handful of properly administered sessions. And that's an extraordinary change in the way we do health right. on this planet. And that's a big ask uh, right now, but it's coming. It's Clearly. not about managing sy uh, symptoms or suppressing the sy symptoms. It yeah. is about going in and directly addressing them yes. yeah. and getting rid of the things that are driving the behaviors and the, and the depression and everything else that's going on there. So, yeah, it would mm. be a huge change in the health. I think so, too. And I think that's one of the other things that has changed in recent years is more and more stories are coming out about the corruption in the pharmaceutical industry and about these big pharma companies who are very, very consciously in, in many situations uh, wanting people to get addicted to their mm. drugs. I mean, and I'm thinking of, in particular, the OxyContin scandal. Yeah, opioid crisis generally, yeah, yeah. exactly. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. 11.54 here on Future Sense and Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond is going to be a little late today and there's a bit of a crisis, maybe they're courting traffic so we might have to play a bit more music after 11 or just squeeze over into their slot until they turn up. We've been talking about From Shock to Awe which is uh, showing premiere screening in Australia at the Byron Theatre uh, on Sunday the 18th coming up 2.30pm with a Q&A with uh, Steve and Mitch sitting here in the studio and the film will be also shown for those who are interested and know people elsewhere in Brisbane, Melbourne Sydney and Adelaide. Those dates are um, on the well, their various places. I actually don't have them in front of me, but you can find them very easily. Social we'll, media. Um, yeah, we'll uh, post uh, a link to the dates on Twitter and also Facebook, our Future Sense uh, media accounts. And Mitch and I will be travelling around to all of those destinations to for the discussion panel in each of those places. And uh, we're really hoping that we can get a good cross section of society. It's it's often easy to attract the the psychedelic crew, you know, mm. to in each of the places to to this. 
kind of movie, but we're hoping to get a, a cross section and hopefully some veterans mm. and maybe um, you know first responders from the emergency services and those sorts of things would be wonderful to have them in the audience. Yeah, so folks, if this is uh, appealing to you, if you are tuned to this, if you see the value in this, which I'm sure you can, you may know some of those very people in your family, in your close circles, some of those first responders who have to deal with trauma all the time or who may be living with trauma. Uh, I've just drawn out the winner for the double pass, and that is Ross Kendall, subscriber number 5587. Your name with it will be on the door for a double pass for Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Yeah, so how can we wrap up today? Um, we haven't had a chance to go into a sort of a deep analysis of media, but we certainly, but that's okay because uh, we can't. I think most people in this uh, in this area here are pretty suspicious of media and also pretty aware that media can do amazing things now and that that right. transformational potential exists and that we are we're seeking that. Many of us now we're looking for that inspirational stuff. You go to Netflix now and there's all sorts of good stuff on there there's all sorts of shit uh, but the things that really appeal are often those things that are talking about consciousness that are talking about uh, nature that are talking about space and time and quantum physics and these kind of areas uh, this seems to be an area particularly in, in this world here I think that people are showing a, a lot more interest in and trying to sort of think what is what is the nature of reality? Yeah, yeah essentially, the, the curation of media has mm. been a big issue that's been on our radar, Mitch, hasn't it, for, for many years? And it was, you know, like I, I don't know how long ago that started to show up for you as, as being an issue, but it's a big, it's got even bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just curation in general. I mean, looking at the Netflix, um, at Netflix specifically, they don't with all their original shows that they put out, they don't do any marketing, but somebody recently that had this satirical piece decided, hey, I am gonna get this thing up into the news feed or up into the recommended feed by just doing a Facebook or a social media campaign and was extremely successful. Okay. So a, a project that probably wouldn't have been in the feed essentially has been hacked by one of the creators of the show to be able to push it up in there because for the most part there's so many new shows coming out on Netflix and Amazon and every other platform that's that's popping up um, you know how do you find this stuff how do you find the stuff that's really going to resonate with you besides letting the algorithm yeah <laughs> tell you what you're going to be interested in so um, yeah we hope to keep getting our message out there and we'd love it when uh, we get support and people that resonate with our with our media and um, I mean in, t in terms of uh, Netflix and all those platforms which are producing a lot of stuff or sourcing a lot of uh, stuff from here and there a lot of the shows the current shows and the, you know aimed at younger audiences usually uh, I'm just thinking this often uh, a lot of the storylines are about superpowers about unusual right. capacities qualities ESP abilities to you know to uh, telekinesis all sorts of things like that and uh, whenever I see those things shown which are very popular on platforms like Netflix and Stranger Things there's a lot of a whole bunch of shows like that right Sensate I think you mentioned earlier t today yeah. uh, they're all sort of somehow uh, related to this general area of we're more than we appear to be I guess to put it in one frame yeah and I see these as our um hero's journey yeah. uh, modern day hero's journey mm. that we are coming to i'm sure as you guys have discussed many times on this show sensing the planet in completely different ways um and i think these kind of stories these mythologies um are 
informing us and, and letting us know that yes you are <laughs> sensing the planet differently yeah. um, and it's part of our, our natural human process um, but there are, seems to be quite a few of those shows out there mm. yeah it does indeed in the context of, of the momentous leap which uh, Graves wrote about which is this massive leap in human consciousness I mean it kind of makes sense that as we approach that people are dreaming about you know mm. imagining mm. Uh, massive increases in, in human capacity mm. and uh, you know albeit presented in Hollywood flavored right. ways. Um, <laughs> I mean, for folks out there, I mean, is this is this your experience? We don't have time today. I mean, you can text in; we'll get it anyway, even if the show's finished uh, on zero four three seven three four triple one nine. But if you know, if you if you're feeling this yourself, I, I'm really interested in this too. Is how you're experiencing the other, how you're experiencing the greater capacities, the intimations of something else going on, your intuition, the sense of synchronicity in your life, and of serendipity, of uh, of, of particular kinds of deepening connections with people for example how your networks are changing or evolving perhaps there's many uh, many sort of signals of these changes that are that are prevalent right now would say find the others find the find others, the others. <laughs> find your tribe <laughs> exactly and the more we talk about this stuff the more it starts to come into the mainstream and mm. you know of course we've seen that happen over the last decade or two mm. where we can talk about stuff openly now without being worried about it you know whereas maybe 10 years ago it would have been really really weird mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely and it you know, makes me wonder what we're going to be talking about in 10 years from now <laughs> <laughs> well we'll leave it there um, pregnancy birth and beyond the, they are not in there so we're going to play some music for a while and just uh, stay tuned I think we'll probably let that go for today it is 11 o'clock or just after 11 here thanks for joining here on Future Sense. We'll be back, of course, next week on Monday morning from 9 to 11. And uh, we will also, you can also listen to these uh, these uh, podcasts, edited podcasts via your your uh, usual podcast platform. Uh, but particularly, you can go straight to our simple webpage, which is futuresense.it and be directed directly to those podcasts, edited podcasts. You can also listen to the whole show on the BayFM website, basically straight away at any time at bayfm.org. Just go to the program page of Future Sense and uh, our Twitter account is also at Future Sense Show and we'll be posting there and also posting on our Facebook page um, as some of the articles and things that we refer to in this show. Thanks very much to Mitch Schultz, the Texan Elf for joining us. Thanks, I'm sure Mitch. he'll be back in the next time. He's here for uh, in Australia for a while as long as we can uh, keep him here. Right. As long as he's allowed to stay here, one of the two. <laughs> thanks for having me guys. Yeah, and Steve McDonald. Thanks Steve. Thanks Nick. And uh, we'll see you all there on Sunday hopefully at... Um, from Shock to Awe, 2.30pm, Sunday the 18th, coming up. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.